We are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Well, it's my privilege and pleasure to end up your series on Mark's Gospel, The Good News About Jesus. And uh, in some ways, if you've got a Mark's Gospel, you'll see the end of it. it can be a little bit kind of confusing because there's little notes about manuscripts and what's in the original manuscript and what isn't. Maybe you haven't noticed that, uh, but it's, it's in there. And also very exciting. Uh, some of in my life group this week got very, ex- especially Will, he got very excited because he talks at the end about handling snakes. Uh, and about drinking poison. He didn't volunteer to do the second one, but he did volunteer to handle any snakes uh, that we brought around. But actually, I've learned from my mistakes in the past. When I led a church in Woking, we had a summer series looking at the animals of the Bible, and I decided to do something about the snake that was lifted up in the wilderness. And I started off by talking about, yeah, I just had some plastic snakes, and I said, I'm sorry, I haven't got any real ones. And a guy stood up and said, I have. And obviously I'd set him up for it. So he he went out and brought in this great big python. And there were some visitors we have that went out the door there and we never saw them again. So I, And then the worst thing about it was not just that, that was bad enough. But when he said, should I put the python around Malcolm's neck? The whole church went, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> So maybe halfway through the sermon, you will wish there was a python around my neck and I would close up or finish. But uh, it's a privilege. It's talking about handling snakes, drinking poison. And I'll kind of explain a little bit about that end bit. uh, Because really, it's not an added bonus. You don't become a Christian and then you can handle snakes or you can drink poison. There are kind of conditions to it and a context for these promises. In fact, in the southern states of America, it was written, a short while ago there were still 125 churches that regularly practiced handling snakes in order to prove this verse in the Bible which I think is a bit silly I think Jesus was tempted to prove God and he said no you don't test God on those things God is there for you he will protect me but I don't kind of push him to the limit on those things and uh, so it's very interesting and it, uh, well, I read one article actually it says 125 churches, you know, drink poison and handle snakes and they're putting faith in God and they're also putting increasingly faith in their doctors and the undertakers uh, because there's been a few accidents as well. So the question is, is this the end of Mark's gospel? Well, it is for his written account. But we know the gospel message continues. Aren't we pleased? Right? He didn't finish just with the writing of the gospel, but people proclaimed the gospel, people prepared the gospel for us and the, the New Testament and the Old Testament for us to be blessed by it. And in Acts chapter 1, uh, Luke says, this is just the beginning. So even though it comes to the end of the gospel, it's still in some way the beginning. 
It's the end of the ministry of Jesus on earth, but it's the beginning of our ministry as believers as we take on the good news. And we've been told a few times in this series that the gospel was written by Mark. He was not one of the 12 disciples, so he's probably reporting what Simon Peter told him. Uh, Simon Peter was a significant disciple. He didn't write a gospel, but he reported things to Mark. He was uh, close to Mark. And so he told Mark all that he'd seen and experienced. And two-thirds of this gospel is really kind of a, I wouldn't say hurried, but it's kind of, it brushes through the ministry of Jesus. It mentions immediately or at once about 47 times. So it kind of takes you very quickly through the brilliant works of Jesus. And it's quite concise in doing that. It's vigorous of the public, an account of the public and adult ministry of Jesus Christ the mighty acts of Jesus Christ and two-thirds of the gospel focus on that the son of God the son of man the suffering servant of God and the last third of the gospel focuses on the climactic end of Jesus ministry on earth the triumphal entry the conflict with Jewish leaders the last supper Calvary the death and as we're going to see today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So did Mark, inspired by the Holy Spirit, as he reports about Simon, so has he achieved his task? And I would say, yes, he has. Mark's gospel is a good gospel. It's a concise gospel. It's good for us to read. Uh, it doesn't have the nativity in or the incarnation, and that's a good part of the story of Jesus, but it goes straight to the public ministry of Jesus. And it also gives lots of attention to what Jesus did for us in that last week, where he kind of came our saviour and our king and our risen saviour too. So it's a good, accessible gospel for you. And it's also good and accessible for people who are interested in the gospel. Often if you find gospels given out for people who are seeking or searching, it would tend not to be Mark or Matthew or Luke. Not because they're not good, but they're kind of quite long. Whereas you can go to John's gospel, he kind of punches in quite quickly. And also Mark's gospel, he punches in quickly to the story of Jesus. So it's a good gospel to recommend to others to read. There is confusion regarding the end. If you've got a, a gospel with you, I don't know whether we have any available. So if you don't have one, you'd like to read one, we have some that you can take. Put your hand up. Don't be embarrassed. Uh, it at least shows you can read. And uh, we can get a book to you. If you haven't, then let me mention some things that are here before I do the reading from Mark 16, which is the last chapter. It mentions, after verse 8, the most reliable early manuscripts and other ancient witnesses do not have Mark 16, verses 9 to 20. And uh, there's a little bit of confusion about some of these things, but it's good that that's there. It's like a little warning that this wasn't found in some of the original documents. But the truth is that actually it's in most of the ancient document, documents uh, we have, copies of Mark's gospel. And uh, it's also good to know that the Bible is made up of verifiable documents. It's not just stories thrown together. People have examined these scripts and it's been proved to be reliable. 
right, over the 2,000 years we've had the gospel, 2,000 years we've had the gospel, they've been proved to be reliable. You don't have to believe in it. People don't believe in it, but they are historical documents that can be trusted. Uh, you could say even more so than other historical documents of the time. Not because they're lies, but these have been examined more than anything else because people want to prove that Jesus wasn't real, didn't live, didn't live a good life, didn't teach what he taught, and people are desperate to prove he didn't die on the cross, he just swooned, all right? And then he didn't rise from the dead. It was just the imagination of hundreds of people. That he, so these are good documents put together for us, reliable, we can read them. And we as believers would receive them as inspired, helpful for us, building us up in the faith, rebuking us, teaching us, correcting us, training us in righteousness. So, I, so, so don't be too bothered about that little comment. I'm going to actually preach from all uh, the, the last chapter. The truth is that many early church fathers, scholars and writers refer to this passage at the end as well. They include it in their teaching. They don't push it to one side and they accept it as genuine. And as I said earlier, the overwhelming majority of ancient manuscripts include this passage. There was a Greek scholar called A.T. Robertson. He said, it's difficult to believe that Mark ended his gospel after verse 8. Have you seen verse 8? You've got ladies that are confused and bewildered, and then that's it. And there's none of the other Gospels that really kind of finish on that sort of note. They finish with a sense of the work of Jesus is finished, and there's an empty tomb, but you see his risen person, Jesus Christ. And uh, it would be really a problem, wouldn't it? So he goes on to say, it's difficult to believe that Mark ended his Gospel with verse 8 unless he was interrupted. Uh, a leaf or column may have been torn off at the end of the papyrus roll. That's what he says, and he's a scholar. He kind of just puts it into that bracket. Maybe something was torn off and, and left. But it's extremely unlikely that Mark ended his gospel so abruptly uh, with these ladies who you know, don't have any concrete evidence of the risen Jesus. So there is a risen Jesus. It's not just an empty tomb. Hallelujah. And it's likely, many people would say, that these last verses are apostolic. Maybe not from Mark himself, but maybe from someone else who walked with Jesus, who was alongside Jesus. So it's good that there's still a cautionary note in there. It shows that we're trying to have integrity in what we read and what we take on board as being part of the Bible. So let's read it, okay? Mark 16. When the Sabbath was over... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who rolled the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed don't be alarmed he said you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified he has risen he is not here see the place where they laid him but go tell his disciples and Peter he's going ahead of you into Galilee there you will see him 
just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he'd driven seven demons. She went and told those who'd been with him and those who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterwards, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Well, we were singing last week about the greatest day in history and we don't just have to sing about that on Easter weekend because we can endure it today. What was the greatest day in history? Death is beaten. You have rescued me. That's good news. That's what we Christians believe. And we sing it out. What do we sing? Jesus is alive. That's the good news. That this Savior who lived a good life, was a good teacher, was also the Son of God, who died on the cross in our place for the punishment we deserve, and then rose again and changed the life of not just those who were his contemporaries, but has changed the life of millions and millions of people ever since that event. That's the good news. Jesus is alive, and he's still at work today. And I want to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. It is the difference, it makes a difference, and it is good news. My first point is the resurrection of Jesus, it is the difference. Some people say that all religions are the same. What do you do? You, you love one another, you help others, and you are good. And while these virtues have some merit, Christianity is not the same as that. It doesn't ignore being good and actually loving other people. But actually, Christianity is unlike any other religion. And Christ's resurrection is a distinguishing factor. We believe in a risen saviour, not a dead teacher who died. Right? And we still have some of his writings or his stories. But we believe in a living saviour. And that's our joy. And also, we don't trust in our works, loving other people, or actually doing good works to make us acceptable to God. But we trust in the completed work of Jesus Christ. 
and the completed work of Jesus Christ is not just his birth, his life, his teaching and his death, but also his resurrection. If Jesus had died and we hadn't seen him again, his teachings might have remained, but they might have been a distant memory to us now. But he rose again and showed to people there that he was what he claimed to be. He was who he claimed to be. And it changed their lives and they were able to go with great boldness and share it with others. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes later in 1 Corinthians, he says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses. For we have testified that, about God that he raised Jesus from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. It's a sober word, isn't it? So it all rests really on the death of Jesus, but his resurrection. If he didn't have his resurrection, his death wouldn't mean anything. He could have claimed all sorts. But he overcame sin and death, and the works of the enemy. Hallelujah. And he rose again to show that he is genuinely the son of God. The resurrection is central to the good news that Christianity believes and that we proclaim about Jesus. I just want to quickly go through some kind of facts generally accepted by serious scholars and historians. They don't answer every question. They don't put it all together. They don't fill all the jigsaw. But these are significant things. Jesus Christ was a real person and he died on a cross. That's one fact. Secondly, he was buried and the tomb location was well known by people who were alive at that time. After Christ's death, his disciples ran away in despair. They were absolutely overwhelmed with a sense of loss and hopelessness. They were hiding from the Jews because Jesus had been the one who'd stood up to the Jewish authorities and the Jewish religious leaders and, and brought a new covenant, his new kingdom teaching to them. Uh, the disciples had been bold with him and maybe without him, but they weren't that brave. And they were now fearful and hiding away. They ran away after his death. The next fact is this. The tomb of Jesus was empty on the Sunday morning, as reported. People knew where the tomb was. They knew where to find his body if he hadn't risen from the dead. And they could have exposed that. The next thing to say is this, his once frightened disciples were transformed and within weeks were boldly claiming and proclaiming his resurrection. And they were doing it in the same city where he was crucified. That's an amazing thing, that they were bold enough in the city of Jerusalem to say, this guy who you crucified, God has raised him from the dead. Peter preaches that. A few weeks later, he calls them an evil generation. Your evil generation, you, a corrupt generation. You put Jesus on the cross, but God has raised him from the dead. And we're witnesses to that fact. And their lives are turned around because they met with the risen Jesus. And they boldly proclaim that Jesus was risen from the dead. Not just were the disciples transformed, but people who are sceptical 
doubting Thomas. We know the story about Thomas who wouldn't believe until he saw Jesus and put his finger into the, the wounds of Jesus. Even Christ's brother James was not a believer, but he became a believer. He wasn't easy to convince. And then, of course, we have the story of Saul of Tarsus who persecuted the church and yet met with the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus and his life was turned around. It's supposed that 11 out of the 12 disciples suffered violent deaths for preaching Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected and not one of them renounced their faith. It's often said that many people have died for a lie or something they believe to be true. But actually, how many have died for a lie knowing that it was a lie? These disciples were turned around. They were convinced and they proclaimed this message. And we have a witness too in our own lives. We've met, not with a dead saviour, but a risen Lord who changes our lives, who pours out his spirit on us, who meets our need who intercedes for us, as we heard earlier on, is a high priest, right, who intercedes for us, who is for us. He's our example. We believe in Jesus. We've been forgiven. We've had new life given to us, and we have hope for the future. So resurrection, it is the difference. The second thing I want to point out is the resurrection of Jesus makes a difference to people. It makes a difference, not just those disciples we're talking about just there. But first of all, to these faithful ladies. We read about these ladies going on the Sunday morning to anoint the body of Jesus. They didn't expect anything different but to maybe hopefully find his body. And the question was a very practical, you ladies are so practical, who's going to move the stone? That was their question. They weren't going saying, I wonder if he's still dead. Or I wonder if he's come alive. No, they were going to anoint the dead body of Jesus. Their question was, who's going to move the stone? It wasn't, could he be alive? So they didn't understand what had gone on or even Jesus, what Jesus had promised. And this group of ladies feature one lady, Mary Magdalene. And she was a woman that had been released from demonic bondage. And she would have been a woman once despised. We could call her a lost cause probably. But now she is honoured with the Lord Jesus meeting her and saying, listen, go and tell the disciples and Peter that I am alive. He reveals himself to this woman, Mary Magdalene. And she shares the news with the disciples, but they don't believe. And you can see the diligence and the devotion of these ladies who go at daybreak just expecting to see the dead body of Jesus, just discussing this very practical matter, who's going to move the stone? And despite all the pain of their loss, they're still seeking to do things that need to be done. That's a good teaching point for us. You know, for life, we go through all sorts of disappointments and difficulties, and they can knock us flat, and I'm not belittling any hardships, any loss, any kind of grief that we go through. I'm not belittling any of that. But these ladies have gone through, probably you could say, one of the greatest losses anyone could experience. The one who was the hope of the world is now crucified. But what are they doing? They're still looking to do some good. They're still looking to serve. 
they're still looking in some way to minister, even if it's to the dead body of Jesus. It's a good point for us. Sometimes we're knocked flat by things, and sometimes we don't get up. Sometimes we're knocked flat by things within the church or within our life, an illness or a difficulty. And I said, I'm not belittling any of that. There can be massive challenges that come. And they can be perplexing and, and really weigh heavily on us. But one of the good things we can do when we can is just do what is right. Keep serving the Lord. And these ladies who just went with their simple and maybe in some way you could say hopeless duty of anointing the body of Jesus found out that Jesus was alive. That's good news. I want to encourage you in your kind of common day activities, looking after the children, going to work, cleaning the house, making the food, whatever it is you do, different things that you do. Sometimes you think, oh, well, I want to tell you this. As you just are faithful in those things, you can meet with the risen Jesus. And he can enliven those things that once you thought were just ordinary, he makes them extraordinary because he's a risen saviour. And he does attend you in the things that you do. He attends you as you care for your children, as he attends you as you work, as you get involved with your hobbies and your interests, those sort of things. Jesus is very much with us. And we need to be those that don't hide away, don't withdraw, but we keep on doing what is right. The good deed, the faithful deed. Even sometimes it seems just dutiful. But I tell you, if you even do the dutiful, God can meet you and enliven you in those moments. It's much better doing the dutiful, even if you don't have the feeling about it, than you giving up and not doing what you should be doing. That's a good word for us. So it's a day of wonderful surprises for these ladies. The stones rolled away. They meet an angel. And uh, I will say this, if you want a truly exciting life, full of surprises and awesome experiences, serve Jesus in all that you do. I personally don't believe you can actually be a church, proper Christian, unless you, your name's been on a church rota somewhere. Now, that's not in the Bible, so don't judge against me, please. The, you know, but I, I do believe that as a, a pastor for many years, I do believe a way of working out is just serving. And it's not just within the church, where we serve in lots of other contexts as well, but where we commit to being part of the growth of the church or the ministry of the church. Serve the Lord and you will be surprised by how the Lord meets you and blesses you in those things. And these ladies were the first messengers of this great news of Christ's resurrection. And through them, the life-changing, earth-shattering news of Jesus' resurrection right, has been passed on to us. He is risen. He is not here. They were the ones to hear that. He is risen. He is not here. Well, where is he then? Where is he? And they were told to tell others, and they did it. Even though they were terrified, even though they were confused, they gathered themselves. So Jesus, his resurrection makes a difference to these ladies. It also makes a difference to Peter. I love this little passage that says, go and tell his disciples and Peter. Have you ever noticed that? I think that's 
brilliant. I love that. It just shows the detail, just out of the Bible, but also the detail of God's love for us. That there will be a special message from the angel to Peter. Listen, don't forget to tell Peter. Peter, he was the one that had the big mouth. I'll never deny you. But he fell. And how did he fall? Massively. And now his saviour, he can't even put it right. He can't even put it right, what he's done wrong. But there's a word for Peter, right? He will meet you in Galilee. He will meet you. The risen Lord will meet you. In the midst of this history-changing declaration of Christ's resurrection, there's an encouraging word for an individual. That shows the love and grace of God. And that might be you this morning. You know, you might even hear God speak to you this morning and say, listen, and call you by name. And you, listen, I want to meet you. I want to meet you. You might have failed. You might have fallen. You might feel pretty confused or miserable at the moment, but he mentions you by name. And you know that he loves you. And he wants to meet with you in a fresh way. Martin Luther wrote this. I think I have a quote it's here. It is a great comfort. The Bible records many celebrated people falling into huge sins. Such errors are given to us so those who are troubled and desperate may find comfort. And those who are proud may be afraid. No man has ever fallen so grievously that he could not have stood up again. And no one has such a sure footing that he cannot fall. If Peter fell, I too may fall. But if Peter stood up again, I also can. What an encouragement. We all will fall and stumble. We all do. In fact, this whole story is full of supposed followers of Jesus who have doubts, who deny him, who have come out of kind of worthless lives, you could say, difficult lives. It seems as if discipleship and doubt go together. The worst thing you can put together is discipleship and unbelief because they just don't work together. But I would say this, discipleship and doubt do go together. But Jesus is still working towards convincing us and reassuring us. And even, it's not just discipleship and doubt, it will be discipleship and failure go together. None of us have made it. We're still growing. There's only one perfect person. That's the Lord Jesus. And when we fail, we can feel so bad. And yet the Lord says, hey, I want to meet with you. Peter, whatever your name is, he speaks to you. We often allow past failures and mistakes, painful experiences to keep us from God and all that he wants to do. And sometimes I can tell you this from experience, you can go through a difficult time and yet, no, God's restoring and you can be restored to a better place you ever were before. Because God's grace is deeper. Because he's reached you at your point of, of failure and need and hopelessness. And you meet the risen Jesus who still moves towards you. He doesn't turn his back on you. This is the good news of this resurrection message the message from the tomb is this, don't be trapped in the past. Don't be trapped in blame of yourself or guilt or a victim mentality. Don't be trapped in a place unable to move on. 
we have a sympathetic risen saviour who reaches out to us again and again and again. And those of us who are older will know that he continues to do it for decades. He is faithful and he moves towards us. This is the good news. He can and he will forgive and use our restoration to bring glory to his name. And then the last group of individuals are the disciples. Well, what a funny bunch these are. Do you know, would you start a new faith with these people? Right? Honestly, you wouldn't. I, the, you know, these are just a mistake. They must be a mistake. And yet they're transformed. The women tell the disciples good news. Their stubborn belief is exposed. Now, were the disciples just prejudiced against the women's testimony? Because that was the case in the law those days. Women couldn't testify in court. Sadly, their witness wasn't accepted. So were these disciples just prejudiced against the women? No. There's two of the disciples, right? Probably maybe a man and a woman who are walking back to a place called Emmaus. And Jesus meets with them, walks with them, explains the Bible to them, goes in with them, has a meal with them. And as he's breaking bread with them, their eyes are opened and they know that it's Jesus. They didn't even believe them. So you have a whole group of people coming. The, the ladies come. Jesus is alive. Well, we don't believe that. And then these two come and they say, Jesus is alive. Oh, we don't believe that. And Jesus turns up and I think in a healthy way, he's not very pleased with them. He rebukes them for their stubborn unbelief. In some ways you can have doubt, but when you get to stubborn unbelief, you're in a difficult place. And do you know what happens? Jesus moves towards, just like he moved towards Peter. He moves towards these disciples. We must be careful that we're not proud of skepticism or unbelief. Such attitudes don't please Jesus. The New Testament says what pleases Jesus is faith. Whatever amount of faith you have, faith that you can exercise, that he is good and he is for you. We are to trust him and his promises. And you know, it is possible to believe in Jesus and still today have little or no faith in his promises. That's sad. You can just be going through kind of the process of coming to church or, you know, you gave your life to Jesus many years ago, but there's no maybe active faith today in the promises of Jesus for you, that he's with you, that he can help you, that he can support you, that he's a friend. These things are important for us. Let's make sure we still have faith that Jesus can do what he's promised. And he will be with us to the end of the age. And his spirit can fill us and empower us. And he can also restore us from places of difficulty. That's the good news. My encouragement to you today, as we look at this story of Jesus being raised from the dead, is this. Have expectant faith today. Believe Jesus can do something in you and with you and around you. That's what he wants. Don't 
kind of in some way condone your own stubborn unbelief or even your passive faith. I know we can have seasons when we can be a bit quieter, but let's make sure we say, Lord, I want a, a living faith, an active faith, trusting in you. So let's be reminded, you know, religion is people working their way up a mountain to try and please God. Christianity is a risen saviour who moves towards us. That's different. And he's done the work for us. What's he done here? He's moved towards a demonised woman and changed her life. He's moved towards someone who denied him, who promised a lot, but denied him. And he's moved towards doubting disciples. And even today, Jesus moves towards us to convince us and draw us into his love and his purposes. The resurrection of Christ gives us all an opportunity to, for new revelation. And I hope today you'll receive just some new revelation. Jesus, I thank you that I'm reminded you are alive. You're a living saviour. The resurrection of Jesus gives an opportunity for us to be renewed. We can be doubting and the Lord will still come and say, listen, here I am. And he shows them his hands and his feet and he is with them. And it's also an opportunity for us like Peter to be restored. Maybe the Lord's calling your name today for restoration or for renewal. You're not a lost cause. Jesus doesn't give up on us. And nor are those around you. Sometimes those around us, we think, they're a lost cause. No, they're not. They're not. In a few minutes when I finish, I'm going to ask you to pray for one person who is not yet a believer. And don't think of anyone now and think, oh, they're a lost cause. Because they're not a lost cause. God can still change their life and change their hearts. And I finish with this. The resurrection, it is good news. Let's not keep it to ourselves. In the next few weeks, we've got a guy called Dub Everett coming. And he, uh, he used to work with me at the church in Woking. And uh, he's a good friend of mine. And uh, he is just really good at meeting people. I don't think he'll be teaching you about apologetics, about these are the proofs of the Bible or these are the proofs. What he'll do is say, love people, get alongside to them and chat with them. And that's what he'll say. And I'm not summarizing three weeks preaching in that and means you can take a few weeks off. Right? There'll be a lot more than that. But, you know, we are there to share this good news. It's a message of God's love shown in Jesus. This one that death could not hold. I've got another quote for you. Warren Wearsby, good Bible teacher, says this. In this commission at the end of Mark's gospel, Jesus pointed out both our message and our ministry. And then he backs it up with the miraculous credentials that only he could give. What are those credentials? He says, listen, I will protect you when you go and witness. I will protect you. I will guard you. I will help you. When you lay your hands on the sick, they will be healed. He says, when you pray for people who are oppressed by demons, they will be delivered. When you preach the gospel, there will be signs following the preaching of the gospel. 
because the gospel is powerful in itself. I'm probably mumbling my way through this sermon, but I tell you this, the gospel itself, if you get the gospel out of this, uh, this sermon, that God loves you and God has sent a saviour to die on the cross for you and you receive that and believe Jesus Christ, it's life-changing. And that's what it is. It isn't about how great we are in presenting it. The gospel has power in itself. It's life-changing message. So he says, we're backed up with miraculous credentials that only Jesus could give. He says, the message is the gospel, the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And our ministry is to share this message with the whole world. It's a method that we've been called to. It wasn't a contemporary method. The Jews, the Greeks, didn't go preaching about their, what they believed. They weren't missional, but Jesus with his group says, go and tell everyone. Go and tell everyone. So that was almost countercultural for the Jews. They didn't go out preaching Judaism. They lived it, and some people were proselytized and changed, but they didn't go out preaching it. But Jesus here says, this is good news. Go and preach it. Go and share it. Don't keep it to yourself. And this is a revolutionary mission for us. We've been turned around with this gospel ourselves. It's a wonderful, radical message that God loves you. Do you know today, and I'm not whinging, but it's like this. Believe what you want, but don't push Christianity on anyone. Believe what you want. In fact, there are people who are evangelists about all sorts of beliefs and all sorts of weird ideas. And they get all sorts of hours on the media and placed on the media. But you talk about Jesus, you can't do it. And we, in some way, must be bold enough to overcome this. Not fearful, not hidden away. I'm not a brilliant evangelist. I'm much better at preaching it than sometimes sharing it. You might not agree with that now. But in some ways, do you understand? I, I can talk to people. I've talked to people. I've led people to Christ. But it's not something I find easy to do. But there's still some good news within me that I can share. And it can change lives. And why is it important that we share the good news? Well, I'll tell you this. Because of some of the bad news that's in there. It says this, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. That's quite a sober passage, isn't it? I know people who don't believe and I love them dearly. I love them dearly. And I want to share the gospel with them. It's God's work, whether they're saved or not, but it's my responsibility not to kind of buttonhole them to preach at them but to love them and to share the good news of Jesus with them because in some way that little bit of bad news should motivate us and there may be in a few moments when I ask you to pray for someone it might be somebody that you love dearly who as yet is not a believer we don't want them to be condemned we want them to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel so Jesus gives his messengers a promise of power, protection, and also productivity. I think we can be optimistic. 
right? Where the gospel is shared, it will bear good fruit. Where we pray for people, they will be healed, they will be delivered. Does it happen every time? No, it doesn't happen every time. But let's keep doing it. So let's keep sowing the seed. So I hope the risen Christ has met you afresh this morning in a good way. And you've met with him to receive something from him, a new commission, maybe just being restored like Peter needed to be restored, maybe delivered like Mary Magdalene needed to be delivered in the months previously. Maybe you need to overcome doubts. Maybe you, you, you ask questions. That's fine. That's good to ask questions. But don't magnify unbelief. Keep trusting Jesus. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we honour you as our saviour and our risen Lord. We confess that you died and rose again. And we've heard that good news and it's changed our lives. And we want it to change other people's lives. We know it's good news. We know forgiveness. We know your grace, your help, your strength. We know fellowship and friendship with other believers. And we have a hope for the future. This is the goodness of the gospel that we have received. We thank you for it. And we thank you that you completed your work, not just dying on the cross, but rising again to show that you are Lord of life. We don't follow a dead religion and a dead leader. We believe in a risen Savior who is alive and by his spirit ministers to us today. And we want to be faithful witnesses. We thank you that you promised the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. Help us to be bold. Help us, Lord, to be confident. Help us, Lord, to be willing to reach out to others. Lord, and if some people today need to be restored, let them just reach out to you now. And if that's you, I just encourage you to pray to Jesus. Say, Lord, you're alive. I need to be restored. Just restore me now. Refresh me. Set me free from oppression. Lord, I've let you down, I've denied you, but you, like Peter, you restored him. Restore me. Lord, I've got doubts. I still might carry doubts, but I do believe that you are the saviour of the world. And as I said earlier, let's now just pray quietly for someone. Will you mention someone who's not yet a follower of Jesus? Pray for them. Mention them by name. Pray that they may hear the gospel. I pray, Lord, that you will quicken us all to be good in sharing the good news with others. Amen. Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.